0: Welcome to Scrummy Handshakes. This is Sheldon. Welcome to episode number 35. I'm just looking at the number, like, wow, 35 of these things. And uh, just me this week again. We'll have Allison back. Before you know it, she's. we've been talking about when she's going to be able to join again. And I'm excited to have her here. We can start talking about some of the newer stuff. This week, I'm going to take you down another road of the masterclass. I'm actually getting really into these. Um, I'm loving watching how... Uh, the the things that get made during the technical should be made and all the tips and tricks that they give. Those are really helpful. I mean, I'm all, learning all kinds of stuff. So hope you are too and uh, happy to give you these little cliff note versions of them. So in this one, they actually, so it must have been this season where they went to more bakers because they, they do five bakes in this one episode in terms of the uh, number of uh, technicals they take on because there's two master classes. I think there's five bakes in each one. This one, they have uh, a few things. Let's see, they do, oops, where'd it go? Here we go. The Treacle Tart, and there's no particular order. They actually flipped the order on this. That's how they announce them. now. The Treacle Tart, the Rum Baba's, Creme Caramel, Hand-raised Pies, and then Paul's infamous Eight-Strand Plated Loaf, or Plated Loaf. I guess it's spelled plated. P-L-A-I-T-E-D. A-P-L-A-I-T-E-D. And uh, but I guess it's platted in real English. um, so what's been going on with me? Not a heck of a lot doing a little bit of baking yesterday, so i uh took on uh, I wanted to make a pie i I have a lot of coconut sitting around. Don't ask me how this happened, but I had a couple coconut macaroon recipes that I wanted to make and and I went, and I bought some coconut, then I went and bought more coconut and and Forgot that I'd bought other coconuts. So I had a lot of extra coconut in the refrigerator because uh, I'd opened them and not realized I had one open. And my wife's like, You got to start using some of this. It's, it's going to go bad. And we're going to toss it. I'm like, Okay, okay. So I remembered uh, a few months back, I'd made a pie. I mean, an apple pie actually came out really good. I had an extra pie crusts. I'm Okay, I love coconut cream pie. So I went about that little task last night. So how did it go? Well, I rolled out my pie crust. I put it in the in the uh, the glass uh, pie uh, plate that I have, and I went to blind bake I, I did. I had I have pie weights now. I bought this little pack of pie weights. They're like uh they're they're kind of stone, like uh almost a ceramic, I guess you would say. And so I dump them in. You know, I line my my pie crust with parchment paper because I don't want to, you know I got to get these things out because you, you you blind bake for. I think it's like 12 or 15 minutes and then you you take the weights out and let them bake the rest of the way well you got to get those weights out quickly so you can't scrap each one because they're hot and so you have the parchment paper and then, then you lift up parchment paper out and you let it go so my pie crust it did something weird and actually ironically in this episode I learned a little bit maybe um not such an uncommon thing but my pie crust kind of when I baked it, it kind of shrank down the sides a little bit. It kind of ran, almost ran down the sides. Almost like the butter melted in it, and it kind of, you know, it started to, to, to sag, I guess is the word. Uh, so lesson learned there. I, I I This pie crust, I think, was a little on the light side in terms of I didn't have an, you know, when I divided the crust, I didn't weigh it when I divided it, but when I made it last, and so it probably had, um this was, was the lighter of the two because I felt like I kind of ran out of crust to to make the edge crust. but it baked okay. So I had, I had, a, I had a, a pie crust it a, had a bowl in it. And then I went and made pastry cream, essentially. You make vanilla pastry cream. I used my vanilla. So I made vanilla last November. And it's been sitting in the um, in the closet kind of steeping. And I shake it up every, every week a couple times or whatever. And it's been steeping and steeping. So I, I said, well, you know what? It's time. I, I grabbed one and took it up there. And I tasted, just quickly tasted the pastry cream after it. It's got a really good flavor. So I'm pretty sure my vanilla came out great, which I'm excited about. Um, toasted up the coconut a little bit. You just basically pour a cup of coconut in a pan. You keep it moving and, and until it gets a little brown. You take it off, pour that in there. And I, I got my pastry cream setting and it looks okay. But my crust did sag a little bit. Um, I, I hope it tastes good. I haven't tasted the whole concoction together yet. Uh, I gotta go get some whipping cream and put it on top. I don't do some people do meringue. I, mean, I think the recipe in, in my book um, talked about meringue on a coconut cream pie. I do not do that. I am definitely a whipped cream person when it comes to to coconut cream. So uh, gonna go get me some uh, whipping cream and, and and top it off and give it a little tasty. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna give the give most of it away because I can't be eating a whole coconut cream pie. But I'm excited about uh, uh, the prospect of how it turned out and I used some coconut. Only a cup though I was like I was hoping to be a lot more it turned out only be a cup all right, so we got these these five bakes to talk about um I was uh you know anticipating you know some unmitigated disasters, particularly on like creme caramel like I, I, when I, when I watch these, I like to think about okay how would I do on on these technicals you know I, I guess I, I would do awful all of them because the recipe they give is so light and, and without a things but Let's say they gave me a a real recipe, you know, and just said go, um, you know, how would I do? And, you know, having not made most of these before, I think several of these, I'd be okay. The creme caramel, I think would be probably the hardest because the whole concept of it, um, scares me a little bit. First, you gotta make the caramel, not screw that up, and then you gotta make this stuff so it sets right and it doesn't just collapse on itself. If you watch the show... Uh, that season three show they made that it you had a few collapsing disasters, uh, but they started off so I, I not in the order I gave you they started out with rambabas. Um, it's a leavened dough, so use strong flour. It's a wet dough, so they used uh, uh they used this uh, to get to spring in the oven. So um, th- that was really the reason why I used it uh it's a he's so paul uses fast acting use in, in salt again remember that rule we talked about last time and, and they went they went over this again you put the salt on the opposite side of the bowl as the yeast otherwise you let him go direct contact it's going to stifle it the, 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 the yeast does not react well to salt so that was kind of the first thing paul does everything with his hands of course um he's you know making that dough um he uses uh, milk to de- kind of develop the dough before adding the butter. Um, that, that was interesting to listen to that because you know he, he before he puts that the, the 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 heavy fat content butter, he's got milk and he's he's working it, just starting getting it kind of almost warmed up and getting the yeast starting to do its thing a little bit. So he definitely has a process there. You know, he's he Paul does everything with his hands. He's moving the bowl around, you know, working that dough in there because um, you got to get that the The batter needs air he, That's the way he's, he's describing it. batter needs his air before it gets the butter. um otherwise it's it's the the fat will weaken the dough that These are the terms that he's using. um I'm paraphrasing them a little bit to to kind of get the point, but that's a good g- a good little takeaway. When you're making that dough uh with it with the with the yeast and the salt in there, uh and a little bit of milk gets it gets it acting right? gets that yeast eating uh, and then before you put the fat in there. It'll weaken that dough, so you got to get it, get the air in it first and then uh, do the thing. So Paul does everything with his hands, as I said. Mary asked the, the ever-wise question, can I use a machine with a dough hook? And Paul's like, yeah, you can. And so I'm like, thank you, Mary, because I'd be sitting here trying to do this. I ain't got Paul Hollywood hands, I'm sure, because uh, that he's been making breads for you know, 40, 50 years, whatever he's been making them. And, you know, give me the machine. Let me let the machine do some work, and then I'll take it from there. Um, so, anyways, he proofs it. He does a little test again. After proofing, the indentations will kind of spring back. Okay, excellent. And so these go in molds. So butters them well, but they put sugar in them. Uh, you know, a little bit of sugar to help help put release. Um, we've talked about that before, I believe, as as a tactic. You know, I don't think it's anything out of uh out of whack there and then uh to make the the rum they they pour this rum mixture over these things uh after they bake and (laughs) so it's supposed to be something like three tablespoons or four tablespoons Mary's just doing it kind of by eye it's half a cup (laughs) she's got half a cup in that thing for sure um so then the gets it all done pours the 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 rum over it icing sugar on top so she has a a cup Uh, Has her little icing sugar sprinkling. She calls it kind of the most important thing in her bakery. So uh, in in her kitchen. So she's got the icing sugar going out thing. These things come out great. Um, This one I might try. I mean, I I, kind of like rum. Um, And since I can use a dough hook and not my bare hands, I might give this one a wing at some point and have the old rum babas in the household. Next was something I don't know if I will try or not. We'll see. It kind of looked cool. Um I don't know. It looked also looked very complicated. The uh just the the motions that were, were involved. And that was the eight strand plaited loaf. So it's just like it sounds it's eight strands of dough, like an octopus, and you then have to kind of weave it together and the the way he was doing it and, and there's a pattern. I just am very worried about my ability to, to follow it. Uh, so, we talked about uh, first thing he talked about, though, is when he's making the dough warm versus cool water. A lot of times they say use warm water when making breads because it will, it will, um, it, it just activates the yeast. Well, Paul said, well, you can use cool water. And he kind of explained why. And I thought this was really interesting. Um, warm, warm water speeds up the proof for sure. But. Cool water will enhance fermentation, slow the proof, but it gives you more flavor and better fermentation. So that was interesting to me. I guess it's a trade-off. If you want your proofing to to, 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 to move along quickly, use a warmer water, but you may sacrifice a little bit of flavor. So I don't know I, I, I wonder what the, the reasons are for the flavor. I, I wasn't quite I guess I don't know. I, I really want to re- investigate that one more. But I thought that was an interesting statement. I, I, first time I've heard about using cool water to, to, to get your yeast going. Um, he uses as little flour as possible when, when working the dough, which that's no surprise. I mean, you don't want to add flour to it. Uh, it, will, it will definitely slow your, your rise and, and kind of uh, make things um, not work quite as well. But he uses a ton of like olive oil, that's his thing. He's, yeah, he's using a lot of oil. It got me also thinking about his work surface. He's got this. He has a wooden work surface. Um, I have a granite countertop. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, is you know, if I want to do this, like the amount of the, the oil thing freaks me out because getting that stuff everywhere and uh, is it gonna ruin my countertop? What's it gonna do? I mean, it's so much oil. I mean, maybe I'm. This is my inexperience showing. I'm not really sure. So I'll probably have some kind of work surface that I'm gonna have for, for making things like this so I don't worry about having to replace my countertops or whatever. My wife would not be pleased with that one. Um he had a great lesson on kneading in this one though. So if you want to get the Paul Hollywood how do you need bread, watch this episode. You'll see his motions, is the way he uses his his hand to stretch it and then the fold over. It shows his whole motion, how he needs bread. And he made it very clear everyone has their own way of doing it. He has his, it's tried and true for him. Now, he's also kind of a strong dude. So, you know, there, there's, there's ways that that works in your favor, um, and you can use that. And I think that maybe shows a little bit in the way he needs. It might not work for everyone. So do what works for you, but maybe I watch him just to get a few lessons on how he does it. Maybe I can adopt a few of those things. He talked about when the dough rises, looking for those creases. Um, he talked you know the creases and the dough shows that it's you know kind of risen and fully proof. that was kind of a a sign for him. I struggled a little bit to see exactly what they meant because they showed the dough. I'm like, okay, I think I get it when you look at the top of the dough, you can kind of see striations almost um but I wasn't quite sure exactly I mean I wish they would kind of highlighted that or circled that or something um i I'm an engineer by background, so I like precision and so. Learning some stuff from him might be better with graphics. Um, talked about rolling the, the braids. So that was you know an interesting thing where you, you cut the dough, making sure it's equal, right? You, you roll it out kind of in a, in a log, you cut it right in the middle, then cut it in the middle again, cut it in the middle again. You could do some weighing to get it kind of precise, you know, little chops off and add it to other, other balls. Um, when rolling it out, though, you start in the middle, knocking out air pockets as you go. He's, he's looking for those air pockets and knocking them out so you can keep that bread structure. Um, you, you, you know, again, don't want a lot of flour when you roll this. You want this dough to stay pretty sticky when you're rolling it out, uh, because the, the biggest reason being, you need these braids to stick together. So when you're taking these these strands of dough. You're rolling them, you know, braiding them into something. You need those things to stick; otherwise, your whole loaf is kind of, kind of, kind of fall apart. So you have to be careful. Don't use a ton of flour here, you know. Despite the ease of working it with more flour, you don't want to add too much. You're going to end up in trouble. Um, Okay, so just the braiding itself—that's the one thing for this whole thing. I got confused just even watching Paul do it. You know, there's there's one move at the beginning, and then you repeat a pattern. I don't know. Uh, it just, I see a sense of this. I'd probably just kind of try to get it best I could. I'd have to have the pattern written out and kind of, there's a number pattern. So I guess you kind of know, but it's, he pulls it all the way over. It goes, it goes under three, over one, and then blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I would, I see myself, you know, going sideways with that one. I think a lot of people did. I think you can get it pretty darn close. So by, you know, Thinking you're doing it right and, and it'll look it'll look pretty nice but he had it looking like a perfect perfect braid of course right trimming it up flipping it over and makes a great crusty loaf he brushed it you know brushed the top of it with, with the uh i believe it was egg whites uh, uh, or whatever um or egg wash, excuse me um looking good i mean it was it was a it was a lot of great little lessons in, in that particular one on the making of uh of bread and, and so i kind of like that now we, we don't always get to see those details all right next one treacle tart um not one that we do much in the state we do tarts in the u.s i guess but i don't recall the treacle tart apparently it's a british classic um it's kind of like a, a got a, a you know a tart shell obviously but with a filling in it that's kind of like a sugar butter based filling by the looks of it with, with you, you and you make fine fine breadcrumbs And you kind of weave that into the actual filling um, to give it kind of the structure and texture. Um, Short crust um, is kind of like what's made with it. Now, this is, again, a trick that I've I've seen before. Mary talks about it. A heavy baking sheet in the oven to preheat. Um, I'm thinking, you know, for me, I like to sometimes use a baking stone. I'm hoping that would have the same result. She had like it was a heavy metal baking sheet, but it looked like really heavy duty. I don't have one quite that heavy duty. Most of the ones I have, um, well, I have my, I guess I do have my, uh, my Williams Sonoma nice gold one uh, that's, a, that's kind of a baking sheet. I guess I could use that, but it's got the edges on it. I don't know if the tart thing would fit on it. Uh, I'm thinking like a baking stone would give a nice hot underside that would, would bake that tart nicely. So that might be the, the root I would, I would use instead of like a baking sheet in the oven. Um, she had a really interesting little tip, uh, I, you know, when you get to be a baker of her caliber, or I guess, or, or if you just like really love baking, you start to have lots of size tins and different sizes and shapes. She just has a black marker, labels everyone in what size they are. That way you're not rifling through trying to figure out, oh, is this an eight inch pan or a nine inch pan or a seven and a half inch pan, whatever they are. Right. Um, when you start to get that volume, she just writes it on it and says, hey, look, now I know what it is. I ain't going gotta, ain't gotta to worry about it too much. Don't blame her. I mean, I, even with my minor arsenal of baking things, it's like, where the heck is that one? What, what, is this the right one I'm looking for? I don't know. Because yeah, sometimes a recipe will call for something. Like, you'll use a nine-inch brownie pan. Is this an eight-inch or nine? Like, where's my ruler? Already? You got to go figure it out. Just write it on it. Um, so, <laughs> This is this was a good one here. It was Mary uh, again. It's like Mary versus Paul on using the hands. You know, you know, Mary's starting to make these ingredients and putting in, in into the, the food processor. Paul's like, I really like to just get my hands in it. And, and Mary's like, Well, I like a machine. Just I can do other things. <laughs> you know, it's like she's like, I still get the feel for. It. I can I can listen to the food processor and know when it's done. I'm like, okay, so that's a a skill uh, I certainly cannot. Um, I definitely have to watch things, but, and I get both philosophies. I mean, getting your hands on it physically on the doughs and, and the, and the things like that, it's probably really good to kind of understand how these things work. And when you start to actually feel differences in texture and changes in gluten forming and stuff like that, just making the pastry cream I made last night, I could definitely start to know when it was getting a set. Like I, of course I wasn't using my hand, I was using a whisk, but you can. Feel that difference in uh, viscosity happening as it thickens. And so I totally understand it, but I'm with Mary. Like you know, when you have these tools that allow you to do other things, I like to, to do that because I don't like to spend too much time making stuff. I mean, I, I appreciate the the process, I don't like wasting time because I can always be doing something else or, or, or learning something else. And so I kind of philosophy when you have these weapons, use them. Um, I, I was, this is a curiosity question. Maybe if one of you know this, you know, send me a note on either Instagram or um, you, can, you can send it to ScrummyHandshakes um, at gmail.com, whatever, whatever works for you. Uh, short crust. Says, you know, what is, why is it short? I don't know. I don't understand what the short is, means. I'm thinking maybe it's the crumbly nature because you, when you pull it apart, it, it, it doesn't stretch. It's not long. It's short. I don't know. I I never understood the, the, the meaning of a short crust. Um, so if you know that, I'd love to. I guess I could you know I could I could Google's it, um, but I'm not gonna Google's it. I I, want, I like to to know from people. I'm curious if anyone actually knows it. So let me know. I'm curious. When she makes this this uh, filling, uh, breadcrumbs. So she has a food processor. Um, one to two day old bread um, is definitely what you want to use. You want to be able. To, you want the crumb. You want to have that dryness to it so It will crumble nicely uh tr- don't use fresh bread if you can help it. um it's not gonna do the same thing it's It's gonna stretch more. it's gonna not give you that fine, fine crumble like you'd have with a, with a day or day or two old bread. Um, now, on this treacle tart, you have the crust and then you have a, a nice lattice on top. Uh, you know when i make when I made my pie, my apple pie or two that I've made there um I definitely like just built the lattice kind of on the pie, you know, I had the pie filling, and then I would just take my my thing and i kind of make the lattice on top of the pie, and I think it's perfectly fine to do that, but I watched them do a trick where some of the bakers, they were showing flashbacks to the bakers, where they actually had a piece of parchment paper, they made, they made the lattice on the parchment paper first, and then kind of, you know, slid it on like a template. I'm like, oh, Oh, that would actually be kind of because sometimes if, if you mess up or, or you, you you don't do the lattice right or you drop it in, you get your thing all covered with the filling and it makes a mess. You know, this looked like a kind of a nice way to do that. Uh, get that lattice and just kind of slide it right on top of the pie. I'm like, oh, all right. Lesson learned. Now it didn't work for everyone. <laughs> I did see someone totally botch it, like half missed the pie. And so I guess there's Upsides and downsides, but it's worth it, worth giving a wing if you want to, like, if you, if you really want to make a nice, intricate design and then just kind of slide it on you, know, it might be a good idea to do that. And, and as opposed to trying to build it on top of the pie, uh, let's see. This was an interesting uh, thing that Mary talked about was uh, despite whether you make it on the pie or not, egg wash it first. So before you put the lattice on, don't make the lattice or, or put the lattice on the pie and then egg wash it, at least in this case, because you might get something, it might trickle down into the pie. And that could, you know, essentially turn on a scrambled egg, I guess, essentially. You really wouldn't want that. It could kind of not jive well with your filling. So do that egg wash while it's off the pie. She did it in before I looked like before she even cut the strips to make the, uh, uh, to make the lattice if I remember correctly in the, in the episode she egg washed just the whole crust itself and just started cutting it so that was a, a, a nice tip because I gotta say I pretty much egg washed mine after it was on um so that was interesting and then uh, the final tip that I that I saw for the treacle tart that she did again this probably if you make these things you know this like I would probably have, have taken a knife and kind of trimmed around it um, and probably made it kind of ragged. She just kind of, you know, pushes it on, you know the tart tins are pretty sharp, or, you know, ish, you know, they're thin. And so she just kind of pushes the crust around the outside and lets the tin do the cutting. I'm like, oh, I guess that's pretty logical to do that. it's right there. Um, so another little tip uh, to take away from this is is uh let that tart tin, let that tart tin do the cutting is is kind of the big takeaway. All right. Next, this was the one I, I would probably fear the most, the creme caramel. Uh, essentially, a, a custard-based dessert with a caramel top. Um, well, it starts as a caramel bottom that turns into caramel topping. Uh, it, look, it looks ripe for, for, for disaster for me, um, things that I would fear. But uh, I've never made caramel before or, or, or sugar. and Oh, I'll talk about sugar in a minute. Um, Never made it. It's, it's something that's, it is, you know, it's on my list to do. Um, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on some of the more basic stuff first. And, and then, you know, I will take on caramel soon. I, I think it's one that's good to learn. There's a couple desserts I wouldn't mind trying that would have caramel incorporated somehow. Yeah, but I, I might uh, give that a wing before too long. But, anyways, there's so much for me to ruin in this one. <laughs> All right. So, the first big tip that I pulled out of this particular bake was, when making the caramel, uh, when you have your sugar, do not use a nonstick pan. That was, okay, I, again, novice baker here, right? Novice cook baker, whatever you want to call me. Um, had no idea that would be the case. I would probably have grabbed a nonstick pan, thinking, oh, you want it to release, you don't want this stuff to stick, it'd be a mess to clean up, et cetera, et cetera. Nope. Start using those nonstick pans, it will almost, it, it, it causes it to crystallize. And so you're gonna have problems. So use, you have a nice, you know, whatever you use, copper or stainless. Steel. I, have, I have a, you know, our stainless steel set pretty heavy, like heavy duty stainless. Uh, that's what I would use. Uh, so instead of jumping to the nonstick, I mean, to me, I don't know, a nonstick would seem like an obvious choice. Oh yeah, you don't wanna, you don't want this stuff to stick, right? Um, don't do it. Um, all right, so then stirring, uh, until dissolved, and, and, but, do then, but then don't stir it. So when you're making this stuff, initially, stirring, stirring, stirring until the, the stuff dissolves, but then don't stir it at all uh, until it's clear and rapidly boiling or it will cloud up and crystallize. You got to watch it like a hawk. I mean, that's why, again, the caramel thing uh, I get nervous about because you do have to watch it carefully. Otherwise, it is going to be problems. So I'll let it boil, stir it till it's clear and crystallized, oh, sorry, clear and rapidly boiling, uh, and then watch it like a hot. Once it calms, once it itself calms down boiling, pull it off the heat, okay? Uh, and then, then it's ready to kind of use. Uh, then you, you gotta get using it because it's gonna solidify if you don't. Uh, so what you do with this is you basically pour it into the ramekin, now, you do not butter the ramekins first. There is butter involved with in the ramekins, but don't do it before you put the caramel in. Uh, reasons for that is that, again, that butter will not react well with the caramel. Um, it, it just, you don't want to do that. So get the caramel in there, let it kind of solidify up. Um, then you're going to butter the rest of the ramekins. So, for the, for the custard is, okay? Another big tip that I took away uh, on when you make the caramel, cleaning the pan. You know, if you're not using a non-stick, of course, it's going to be sticky. Uh, one of the things that Paul mentioned, it, it was kind of a good tip. Pour, you know, immediately pour water in it, boil the water, and it'll clean up in like 30 seconds. So if you're making caramel, or anything like that, and then, you know, kind of that, everything's left in the pan, the residue pour some water in, boil the water, it'll melt down the sugar and dissolve it. Pan's lickety-split clean. Nice, good tip, good tip, because I hate cleanup. I mean, I I'm want people that while things are baking, I clean everything, because it makes me nuts to have done all this work and then afterwards have to look at the dishes. I want the dishes done before, basically, before my food is done, just so I can enjoy it and not have to think about cleanup. So I kind of do it all while it's baking. All right. Um, once you let those ramekins uh, cool with the caramel in them and cool right down, basically, till it's ready to uh, almost like hard, then you butter your ramekins. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So then making the custard it's, it's a, involves milk. And, um, you know, Mary says you basically cook it until you can't touch it with your finger. So she's like dipping her finger. That's a one way trip for Sheldon going to the ER. I am. I am not testing that with my finger. (laughs) I'm gonna like look for like little bubbles around the side or something, some other trick. I don't know. I got a feeling I would not think. I was okay. I'm gonna test this. Oh my god! I just scalded my fingertip. Uh, So for someone maybe with more experience, you you know, uh, that might be all right for you. Less experience, look for another sign that the the stuff's starting to get ready to before it boils. Right? Um, Okay. So. when making custard, I guess we've talked about this before, maybe a pastry cream, if I remember, it, sorry, 35 episodes in, don't remember everything. Um, making custard, you take the hot milk to the cold egg mix. Not the other way around. Otherwise, you'll basically make scrambled eggs. Uh, so you start to pour the hot milk into the cold egg mix is, is, is key when making the custards, right? Baking, then you, you get these ramekins filled you bake these in a water bath. Why? Okay, so essentially, there's this fancy name that Mary used for it. I call it a water bath. Essentially, it's, a, it's a, a tray full of water you set the ramekins in. The great thing about doing it that way is the outside temperature of the ramekin never exceeds 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit because the water starts to boil and it starts to basically evaporate off. That evaporation acts like also like a cooling mechanism. When you evaporate, you're you're kind of pulling the heat away. You're using the heat to, to kind of, um, you know, to boil the water as opposed to cooking the food. And so it you never exceeds that hundred degrees Celsius. And so that keeps that at a very 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 steady temperature, which is perfect for these. Um, bake these, until uh, you know, um, till there's like a little wobble in the middle. And one one thing that Mary was talking about with the custard. Um, If there's bubbles in the custard when you're pouring it in, it's probably going to be tough. So if you've got bubbles in it, you maybe cooked it a little too long. Uh, But you cook it until there's a little bit of wobble, just a little bit of wobble in the middle. Then you let it set for 10 more minutes to continue cooking. Okay, so leave them in that thing. And then you take them out and you cool them in the fridge. All right. So uh, she also said... um, uh, you know, these were done in ram, these are individual servings. You said you could also make these in a, in, make it like one dish in a, in a two, pi- if you have a two-pipe dish, you could make this as kind of like one big uh, crumb caramel. And I, I know, I imagine there'd be diff- some little different look, or I guess they are still looking for that little wobble in the middle, but I'd be a little nervous about that from the, making sure it's cooked evenly all the way through. Like the bigger it gets, the harder it is to get even bakes all the way through these things maybe the the water bath helps with that i'm not sure but um for sure it was uh uh something she said you could do and of course when she takes it and turns hers out absolute perfection the caramel is just, is kind of melted and you know it's it's not like a don't don't think stretchy caramel it's kind of it's like a syrupy caramel almost but thick enough to kind of stay on top but thin enough to kind of just kind of run down and pool uh on the uh on the plate so there's a consistency there that I'm assuming that if you don't do that caramel, if you overcook that caramel too much, it's going to taste bitter. Um, it may also thicken it because you've evaporated more water. Um, I'm sure there's a, that fine line. You're, you're looking for that, that, that thing where it, when it starts to just slow down its roll and the bubbles, you start to pull it off. you got to make sure you time right. You want kind of that golden light golden color, not a dark, dark color because uh, if it's too dark, you've definitely done it too long. Okay. Well, they threw a little bonus tip in this episode, which I thought I kind of liked. Um, I've never tried this sponge sugar thing. Um, one, again, I get a little nervous about things that require me to sling hot things around in the air. <laughs> I don't know. Call me crazy. Um, taking hot sugar and just kind of slinging it. And that's really all it is, is you get it on a on like your, uh, your whisk and you basically wave your hand back and forth kind of vigorously and it creates these thin strands of sugar. He's doing it over like a, uh, Paul's doing this over like a a, kind of a rod almost to get it to kind of hang on there. Then he kind of uses his hands to fluff it up like a, like not a basket, but like a um, a tumbleweed of of, uh, spun sugar. And they showed another mechanism where you do it over a a olive oiled bowl, bowl. He has a glass bowl. He's covered with olive oil. He's slinging this stuff over it. And he makes kind of like a sugar basket from it. I really he does it over he calls it a steel. essentially what it is. It's basically a plate of steel. It looks like a looks like a baking sheet almost. And maybe that's what it is. But he's doing it over that. I am sure that stuff is gonna get on things I don't want it to. So I would probably almost want to do that in the garage or something. <laughs> like get or or set up like a uh a kill room with <laughs> plastic wrap everywhere, uh, like a Dexter. It, it just kind of sling that caramel around in that as opposed to trying to do it in my uh, my kitchen that I, I don't want to ruin. Uh, but again, I'm sure it's I'm overthinking it. Slinging hot sugar is something I want to take a little careful. I'm going to be careful before I, I jump into that well. All right, one more bake was done. The hand-raised pies. I'm not going to spend much time on this one because... I I was a I was a little disappointed that they even had this one. Uh I guess, you know, it's 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 a different season, but essentially the masterclass, it was almost the same as the pies they made kind of the previous year. Um, and what they did like kind of it was the I think it was pork with like the egg in the middle, right? Well, this one was kind of chicken and bacon and apricots or apricots as they call them. Uh the the, the bake is is similar. It's a hot water crust. What was different about this one was the way he formed the crust. He had something he called a dolly, which essentially, it looked like a, a wood pestle. Imagine like a mortar pestle, like you're crushing something in, in like a stone uh, bowl or something. It kind of looked like the pestle, but, but bigger. Um, or maybe around the size of a soup can, right? It had kind of a handle on it. He called it a dolly. I, I, that's something I've heard of. Um, And I think most people even the ones that on the show had not didn't know what those were. It's, I've never seen one of these in my life before. Now, he, that's what he used. He covered it with basically with olive oils to make sure that it was, it was the stuff would slip off it. Um during the show, a lot of people had issues even though I, it, it didn't show whether they oiled them or not. I think they would have, but who knows, right? Uh, but a lot of people were having trouble getting them off and it looks like they you know when I looked at Paul's, it looked like it was kind of just partially baked. Um, you know, they kind of form, they make this hot water crust just like the last episode. I'm not gonna talk about make that again. It's pretty much uh the same. Um now he he, he forms it up and said, Don't make it too high, or else it'll sink on it, you know, it, it'll it'll run down, it, it'll kind of melt like like my pie crust basically did today. Um uh it'll run down, start to sag a little bit. Mary actually had a really interesting tip. Um About about releasing, but actually, let me back up a little bit. She had a tip said, "Hey, when I make these, I don't use a wood thing like this. I use a jam jar, like a you know a cylindrical jam jar made of glass, essentially." Then she says, "If I have any problems with it sticking, I fill it with hot water. It kind of melts the lard a little bit, and then they pop off." And, And Paul's like, "That's a really good idea." I'm like, "Yeah, that is a really good idea." I also was wondering if we went with that philosophy of using the jam jar these pestles had like a little handle on top and i don't know if you could do it with these it'd be a little precarious but the jam jar would be very easy if you flipped the jar upside down so that you know the like the the bottom of the crust was kind of exposed to the top and everything was kind of pointing down they wouldn't sag or they'd sag you know they would pull the the other way and as long as you have a, a reasonably strong crust um, it's not gonna droop down. It's 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 gravity's working in your favor at that point. So I wonder if that work. My only concern would be, I guess, you your crust isn't against the pan at that point, the bottom of it. I wonder if you over bake it, it. Um, but you aren't baking it the whole way. You're just kind of setting the crust. You're getting it kind of half baked. I wonder if that would work. I don't know. I wish I wish someone had tried that, or or um or maybe someone did. They didn't show it. Uh, but I thought that would be an interesting take on trying to do that. Uh, that was really kind of the the, the, the big one uh, takeaway for me was that jam jar trick. Um, so, I don't know. I thought everything else was pretty straightforward. Uh, they talked about, again, adding the gelatin. Everyone was having issues with the gelatin kind of leaking out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would have just, you know, you don't put the gelatin until the thing is completely cooked just wrap the whole thing in like Saran wrap and does not going to leak out. You basically, you know, made it leak proof. It seemed like everyone just leaking. out. just wrap it Saran wrap. That'd be my fix. I guess no one seemed to do that. And I was curious as to why they didn't, um, you know, cause again, sometimes this stuff you can have a pinhole or something in your, in your, in your pie crust, just, just wrap it up. But who knows? Not my, not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, the other thing, okay, so this is another weird, weird thing they mentioned, and I know they do this for safety reasons. You know, they mentioned it for safety reasons, but I didn't understand why it mattered in this particular case. They were when Paul was cutting up the chicken and the and the bacon, and then the apricots. They said the like the announcer voice, you know, like the Eye in the Sky kind of thing says, "Always use separate cutting boards when when cooking when cutting meats and vegetables or whatever." I'm like, yeah, I I get that, but you just put them all together in the pie so i don't think in this case it matters if you're cooking everything to, together like this i don't think it matters if you cut them on a separate board i wasn't quite understanding maybe i'm maybe there's something different about it but you you're maybe you're when you cut the the meats and maybe you're getting it inside i i didn't understand it i i figured if you're just mixing them together right after anyways you could use the same board it didn't, it didn't seem to make a difference to me but maybe i'm wrong on that uh there might be a, a nuance here that i'm missing but i i didn't quite get it i get it if you're just cutting the vegetables and then eating them raw or going somewhere of course right absolutely different cutting boards you're just throwing them together in the pie anyways and cooking them so i don't know wasn't quite getting that one at all um anyways the um the pies again uh looked looked really good uh paul no okay so when they my only beef, no pun intended, there's no beef involved anyways, was that Paul poured his jelly and let them set overnight. Okay, well, that's not fair. I want to see what it looks like in the time you gave the bakers. Now, I know when they make the technicals here, they're, Paul's not rushing against time and Mary's not rushing against time. I get, take your time in making them, but when it comes to the preparation, like the proof time and the... Things that are really, really time-sensitive, like proofing, baking, uh, letting things set, you need to give them the, If you're going to do this master class, I want to see what the result would have been if you gave them the time that they had. Um, you know, and, and just to make some assumption, right? It's not going to be perfect. You can't say, well, they would have had 20 minutes versus 25 minutes. So just make some assumption. You know, Paul knows how much time it takes to make these recipes. You know if, if most of the people on the show had about 20 minutes to set their thing you get 20 minutes to set your thing i want to see that result you can make them the right way overnight i want you can show that too i'm kind of interested in seeing the result if you gave them the same time but maybe that's just me but i thought to be that's kind of the fun of this is you know you're challenging them i want to see what how you would do almost in the same challenge with a little more time for instruction right all right so overall though again of course, his, his little pies look look perfect. I will say, though, when I looked at them on the counter, they did look like they sagged a little bit. Um, but I, again, it's like nothing is perfect, I suppose. But they, when he cut into them, they were, of course, like perfect layers. Golden crust, absolutely delicious looking. Um, of those, I, I mean, my favorite one would have probably have been the rum one, the rum baba's. Uh, I mean, I don't I can't recall if I've eaten something that's had that was kind of like that halfway between bread and cake. I probably have, I just haven't realized that's what it was. But I think that would be a fun one to try. So I'm gonna put that one on my list of of uh, technicals that Sheldon would like to do. And and so if I make that when Allison's back on, we'll we'll talk that one through and, and see how it went. Uh and and uh, I even have a really great rum in mind that I would use. And let's see how that turns out. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed talking through this episode with me. I think uh, these masterclasses, I just say, if, you're, if you're, you like to learn, uh, definitely go check them out. Um, you, or you can just you know, check them out with me while we uh, do these solo episodes when Allison's Away. Um, I I'm I'm probably have a couple more I'm going to do. Uh, there's one more in season three here. I'm going to tackle that one. I do hope you're having a good time with these, uh, as much as I am at least. And uh, thank you for joining me. This is, uh, it's a lot of fun to actually talk about these shows and, and to, uh, to learn from them. So we'll see you next time on Scrummy Handshakes.